Hello, I'm Melody Asani. I'm Julie Burns-Walker. Today, we welcome you back to the Butterfly Forecast. My life is a spike with pain and music is my aeroplane. It's my aeroplane. Somber, sweet and sour, Jane, and music is my aeroplane. It's my aeroplane. Pleasure spike with Smishy. Bonjour, Smishy. <laughs> Bonjour. How's France? I am in the south of France. Gosh, it's so nice. I'm actually in the countryside and I've never been here before. And you don't really realize how much you're caring in the U.S. right now with all that's happening until you're away from it. With everything, it's like we've made this environment that's not really habitable for human beings and it's really hard it's really hard it's like i feel like i have to eat like special foods and have a special diet now because i've become so sensitive to all the like crap that they put in what used to be just normal food and i have to have so many like mental health supports and different kinds of things just to feel normal, just to be able to show up every day. You have to do so many things. That is so true. I feel the same way. I mean, I'm aware of it, but it, it doesn't mean that I recognize on a daily basis what I can do to strip it away all the time. Like you being where you are, you have that privilege of it's so evident you're, you're like this is real life yeah i mean it's such a trip it just it just makes you hyper aware of all the things that you have to do back at home to just be it doesn't even it's like just to get to the point so that you can be available to work or to be creative or to do any of that stuff whereas here i feel like i just wake up that way you don't have to make it happen. Yeah. The food is all fresh. It's grown locally. There isn't a bunch of crap that's done to it. There aren't like a million phone lines and electrical lines and poles and technology just running through every single window. It's just like your body just sort of adjusts. And so you feel different there. And do you notice like the people around you equally? It's not just you because you came from the States. Yeah, well, I haven't actually interacted with a lot of people outside of who I'm with. Mm. But even just being around the people that I'm with, mm. who I'm usually at home with, it's different. Mm. You know, people aren't on edge or it's different. Everybody's sort of like, let their guard down in a way, or is just being able to relax. Plus, for me at home, it's so hard to even relax. Exactly, because timing. I mean, you're, you're, you all are not under the gun of your schedules and trying to fit things together so you can be together. You just have time to be together. I think that all brings different awarenesses as well. Topics are different. Your connection is different. It's easier. There's more flow. Yeah. I think also just not being so tapped into the news, like the constant breaking news of 
disaster happening everywhere. But which is, I guess, really the inspiration behind this talk today, because since our last podcast, so much violence has occurred. Mm. I mean, like, we've been talking about it. It's so much. I mean, the school shooting recently in Texas, it's just like, I feel like things like that literally take me out for days. It takes me days to recover from just like this heavy weight of like, what are we doing? Something so easy to fix, so easy to fix. Why are we making it so complicated? Why, are, why, why, why? But then also on the flip side of it is that why is death our only incentive to want peace? Yeah, like how many children have to die before we change gun laws? How many would it take? This isn't enough. These precious ones weren't enough. What about the ones before them? That's not enough. So it the numbers keep growing and the violence keeps growing. I think that question that you're asking is also really relevant to like our season on our podcast dedicated to the quest for world peace. Like how can we even talk about world peace for the very same reason that we can't talk about gun laws or talk about mental health issues or talk about what we're doing to ensure that peace is our established standard. It's our mode of operation. We have zero tolerance for anything that isn't oriented towards it. Why is that so hard? How much violence will we accept before we say enough is enough? Yeah. Have you come across anything like this in your work about why we're like this? Like, what is it? What's the clog? Hmm. You know, Sushi, one of the patterns that I have been aware of through my work is a really core awareness about human nature and development. And it, it may sound wild, but what I have noticed is, you know, I've shared with you before that the human central nervous system of the brain is formed within three hours after conception takes place. So I know we know this scientifically, we know this in medicine, but we haven't looked at the implications of what does that mean that we have our central nervous system, the ability to take in impressions. We know through our mother's chemistry, her feelings, her thoughts, her perceptions, everything about the world through our mother, we know. So that's understanding at the beginning. And on that base, we have to understand what happens in utero. And something I've noticed that over the nine months in utero, that unique individual is experiencing every single thing being taken care of. Their food is taken care of automatically. Their temperature control automatically. They are automatically floating. There's no effort they have to exert. There is no work. So if that mother has a supported pregnancy, that is, 
These are the experiences in utero. If the mother is not supported in her life or worse, undervalued, undersupported, not shown love, respect, kindness, then that is that fetus and then later infant's experience of reality. Then when they come down that most dangerous journey into this world through the birth canal, they lose all those life supports. The water is drained. They have to use their lungs for the first time. The food is stopping. Their blood sugar is dropping. They don't know what's happening. The light has shifted. It's dark. They're dying. They're dying to the world of the womb. And only then... Are they going to have to actively act on their own behalf, make their own choice to breathe, to cry, to speak out, to say what they need? And what I find fascinating is the perception that happens at that moment of birth. Most adults still live by that credo. And so there are people who are like, you know, It's not fair. Life is so hard. It's not fair. I'm supposed to have everything happen for me. I'm supposed to have this and comfort and love, and it's supposed to happen automatically. I'm supposed to just show up in life, like blink my eyes twice, and the world's supposed to go, wow, you're amazing. Wait, let me get you your food and your drink, and I'll you know, cuddle you and I'll put a blanket on you or, oh, you're too warm. I'll take that blanket off, whatever it is in life. And the metaphors that come from that, we are not letting go of the fact that everything is provided, but we have to choose it and work at it, including peace, safety, security, cooperation, if we keep blaming what we didn't get, it justifies our acting out in a variety of ways. And Smishi, this is the pattern. This is the quintessential pattern I notice in our human development, in our human evolution. We have yet to take that next step and say, I'm willing to get conscious, wake up to reality, and make it better here for everyone everyone I inherited, my entire family network. How do you know you're unconscious? I think by the reflections of the universe and life, relationships, patterns. I love this spiritual teaching. We will show them through signs and in themselves. Oh, that's so profound. That's so profound. But it's also so exciting. No one is left alone here. We have the opportunity to notice, how do people see me? How do people react to me? What can I do about it? Maybe the answer is it has nothing to do with me and my goodness and what I'm offering. Maybe it just has to do with people's fear and how unevolved we've become. Maybe it's my skin color. Maybe it is my gender. Maybe, you know, I've come into the world around a lot of unevolved human beings who don't recognize we still are fundamental human family. We all need to be treated the same. But sometimes we have to work through a lot to get to that place, a lot. 
Don't you think, Sushi, very few people you know have grown up in an idyllic family setup? Yeah. I mean, I don't know anybody in my, in, like, I don't know any of my peers. I feel like a lot of my friends are now sort of creating that for their children. Not idyllic. I mean, the world is crazy, but at least at home, just sort of, you know, evolving whatever they came from, which is amazing. Having the opportunity to see some of my friends grow up in these new ways that, you know, I never saw. I mean, it'll be interesting for you to watch their children grow up and what they make of this world and their role in it. You know, what they grow up believing. One, I think what you said is the ultimate gift a human can give back, which is try to offer your children, but also people around you, what you didn't get, what you did not receive, but you are aware of. To your point and your question before, if we don't grow up with what we needed at all, that just means there's an awful lot of opportunity to give back, an awful lot. Yeah, I've noticed that either people give back what they didn't receive or they repeat it. They just become that same. Do you think that's conscious? I don't know. I don't think so. I would think that if you've endured some kind of pain that you wouldn't want to give it to someone else, but maybe it could be conscious. Well, I think until we embrace that we come from the most perfect outcome that our parents could possibly offer us for what they knew at that time, then we are destined to repeat parts of it. But if we don't have the same goal, That's really tricky, I think. If we don't know that absolutely cooperation and consultation are necessary for everyone, regardless of how much you do know or don't know, no matter how much you have figured out, no matter how perfect you have become, we still have to cooperate with everyone else in the world. (laughs) You know, I can hear that's such a good example. It's so beautiful. You know, my sister who passed many years ago, she used to say this thing that cracked me up. My sister Cindy was a sharpshooter. And she always was, even when she was a child, she was like a bottom line girl. She'd look at a complicated situation and just say bottom line, and it was always spot on bullseye. And she was investigating a lot of spiritual pathways and a lot of walks. And she said, people don't get it. You know, it's like Noah's Ark. I was like, in what way? And she goes, you know, that boat ain't taken off until all the animals arrive. So you may have found your great spiritual path and walk. You may have found the truth. But you know what? You're still waiting for all the animals. So you might as well just help out. If we had just that simple attitude today, just that, things would be so different. So, so true. So, Smushi, I still didn't get the answer to the question, though. Why death? Why does it have to get to that place for us to want peace? Hmm. Well, Smushi, if we feel that life has done us wrong, and in our very limited perception, What do you think people think the worst thing that could ever happen to a loved one would be? That they would die. That's it. That's their worst fear. And if we don't have any loved ones, then our fear is that we die. 
or we die without fill in the blank. It's still about death. Death is the ultimate marker. So you're saying that that's, that's why that's the only incentive for peace. Like it has to get to the worst, but why does it have to get to the worst outcome? I think because it's evident to me, we think we're more evolved than we actually are. We are a single species. We're still not aware of that. That almost boggles my mind. Like it's a basic scientific fundamental truth. It's not complicated. It would be like if honeybees had that argument. It would be like if ants had that argument. Nope. We are of the same species. This is it. So incredibly, honeybees work together. They have a very profoundly um, unified system. So do ants. I think that's it. So we still don't know we're a species. Just, Smishy, what would it be like right now if, let's say, we had a goal within the year globally that each culture and each nation did their part to convey to the children in school systems that we were teaching that we're a single species. No more teachings, no religious overtones, no political overtones, that we're a single species. I wonder what would change that year. Just that. And if we kept teaching that, what would happen to those generations of children? They would grow up automatically assuming there's work to be done to make it happen in a more cohesive way. Their art would reflect it, music would reflect it, writing would reflect it, even like running for school offices, you know, politics, debates, what we are questing for truth, how we quest for truth, how we quest for resolutions, all of it, justice, how we deal with injustice, what questions we ask, would be revolutionized. So I think this fundamental developmental thing that in our psyche, we're still not waking up at birth. We're still like, hey, what do you mean all this stopped? What do you mean I'm not being taken care of here? So then how do we change that at birth? Because we need to have pregnancies that are supported And we need to start understanding why we are pregnant if you are a female and have that privilege and burden to carry for the species. We need to be teaching our young why we're here and that it's not easy. And we need to take like a living example of connecting with people who seem different than ourselves and make it a commonplace, normal interaction, and find ways to get through tough times. The answer cannot be guns and death, you know? I certainly, I hope I'm not like sharing it with the implication that I think I know the way to world peace, (laughs) because I don't. But I know some things that need to happen as prerequisites. And one is accepting that we are a single species, you know, before we can. And and how do you think, you said that women need to be more supported in their pregnancies. How do you think that we could do that as a society? By recognizing that they're doing something 
whether it's for their family and their own reasons or whether it happened by accident or whether it happened, doesn't matter how conception took place. Society needs to say thank you. Society needs to step up and say, oh my gosh, you're producing a human, another one of us. How can we help you? What do you need? Because some women have a lot of things provided, but maybe not something that only they are aware of. Some women have nothing. They're in bare bones survival. Whoever is surrounding that particular female, we need to step up. What if they're very, very young? Then a lot of people need to step up. I mean, that kind of shifts everything in terms of, you know, they always say it takes a village, which I love. Mm. I love the concept how in certain countries, the entire village literally cares for the child, raises the child. But even before that, like even before the child is here, just like you said, at the time of conception, just figuring out how to support that. So Mm -hmm. incredible. And so, you know, the more isolated we've become, that really means to me, the scariest thing that could ever happen is when we are disconnected from that reality, our reality, and a higher reality. You know, that we didn't actually create ourselves, we didn't create the planets, the stars, the solar systems. We are not the highest form of energy here. We're not the highest life form. And once we take our place, I think we have a very different way of interacting with each other. And so I think then looking at the female aspect of the species, my gosh, you know, how different females would be seen. And, um, you know, I think that the pitfalls that we have to start addressing of being a, a human being is believing the stories that we inherited about ourselves and about others. And those stories get triggered the minute we experience lack, the perception of lack. Can you talk more about that? Well, I think that we're so ill-prepared for pain. And I think we're even less prepared for emotional pain. So like if you witness 50 little children and watch them each one in a row, like give each one a cookie and then take that cookie away from 50 children. Watch their reaction. You will see 50 different reactions. One might just hold it together and just be like, what happened? (laughs) The next one might cry bitter tears like the end of the world has happened. Who is doing that? I think it was Jimmy Kimmel or somebody was doing that. Like, Oh, really? Where... Parents were <laughs> pretending to eat their kids' Halloween candy. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was just that. It was like certain kids would just lose it, like mm-hmm. lose their minds. Other ones would just hold it together. Other ones would just like try to process it and be like, but that's really mean. You weren't supposed to do that. Or it was so sweet. And some take somebody else's cookie away. They, someone took mine, I'm taking yours, and someone else will go and take as many as they can. Makes sense when you're five. Yes. But what if that part of us never evolved? Evolve. You know, and we just rationalize and we transcend other people's signals 
that what we did have has caused them harm. So what is this about, really? I mean, does it mean that we, how do we, you know, how do we deal with this? Mm. Well, because we think suffering is the worst thing that can happen to us or our loved ones. And then we take that to the furthest conclusion, you know, death. But suffering... That's not the worst thing. That's not the worst thing. Being disconnected from our species purpose to actually, yeah, that's the worst thing. Because we will all be obliterated. If we cannot work together, we think, oh, it'll just sort of freeze frame here as a species. But look, we've been progressively getting more violent, worse and worse. So can we not see the end of the story here? What happened to the civilizations of the past? They all thought the same thing as we do, you know, rationalizing why we don't need world peace yet, why it's too difficult, why that's complicated, why we are not politically placed. It really won't take politics. It just takes the right people to have lost everything precious to them. That's what it will take. Because then everyone else's children are just as precious to you as yours. Smishy, what do you think would take for us to attain just that awareness? To, to get what kind of awareness? That we are a single species and we have to work towards peace every day. I really don't know. I mean, that's kind of the question I ask myself every day. Which is what? Is that what, like anytime something like when this shooting happened, I was like, what is it going to take? What is it going to take? I mean, when I think about it, it's 50 lawmakers, 50 people in Congress that are upholding this gun control, this gun law, you know, like making guns, stopping something as simple as like background checks to go through 50, 50 people. Mm -hmm. And the majority, like they did a poll of Americans and 90% of Americans wanted background checks. So it's like we're being held hostage by 50 people. Who are they? Why? How are we allowing this to happen? So I, I ask myself that a lot. Like what will, not just what, what, what it will take, because I guess those 50 people have over and over shown us again that whatever incentives they're receiving from the law not being changed is greater than people dying. What will have to happen to them? And why does everybody else have to suffer? And how do they get into those positions of power? And what, what kind of thinking is behind those elections? Yeah, I guess the difficult part for me is because, I mean, we're all around like-minded people. I mean, I live in Los Angeles. It's a little bit like a bubble in a lot of ways. You know, like everybody around me sort of believes the same general kind of thing. So for me, it's trying to get out of that and think like, what about these people that don't think like me? Or mm. what, what, who are these people and what will it take for them? I feel so disconnected from those humans because I just don't understand how you could put profit over people or power over people. I think we're a long way from changing our political structure. Of course, the miraculous changes 
um, that would have to take place. There would be, just as you said, the impact would have to hit those 50 members of Congress individually, personally, you know, so that it's not uh, philosophy that they're living by, but reality. And, you know, what I always hear when I'm listening to speeches of politicians is the explanation, you know, there's the promise of working towards something, but always clarifying we're not there yet. So it's still saying the real message is we can't do this yet. Right. And so that's why I don't think that changes will happen from the top down. I think they'll happen from the grassroots up. And when enough people feel change is imminent, that's what makes changes happen. But I love, you know, in the work of Dr. Joe Dispenza, I love his understanding of us reaching critical mass as population, as peoples, has to do with our way of perception, our way of feeling, thinking, knowing about what we are versus what we are not, and knowing that change is possible right now. So we change within ourselves. And he makes this comment is so beautiful that, you know, we've had our martyrs in history who have died for this. Do we have to keep dying for transformation of a society? What would happen if the society transformed instead? And so this is the real quest. Mm, I love that. I love it too. Because when you hear it, you know there's truth. We can discuss things based on conjecture for days on end. That's why people can and do pontificate. But when you hear truth just once, you recognize it. it. Mm -hmm. You feel it. Even if you don't agree with it sometimes or it wrangles you, you know it. Mm, that is true. So she, do you feel like the people around you that you speak of in your bubble of like-mindedness, which by the way, sad that you have to call it a bubble. <laughs> it's, it's too bad that it's not like the environment, the stratosphere. Bubble seems rather small. But do you think that there's consciousness around what does it take? Like, is there a common view about what it does take? I know there's a common view of what's unjust. I think the consensus is that it's got to burn down and be rebuilt. Mm. But nobody knows what that looks like. But I think it's just that this isn't working. So what will? But I don't think, I think people have ideas of it. You know, different people have depending on what their personal interests are, where they're most drawn. But I feel like really a lot of people have also just sort of detached because it's difficult. Do you think it's detached or apathy? Probably both. I also think it's part of it is self-preservation. It's not being able to deal with it all the time or be in that environment all the time because it's so oppressive. Yeah, We do have to stay aware, but that doesn't mean we have to swim in it. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's a real art by itself. Yeah, that's what we were saying at the beginning. It's like just to be present, it's such an art. Like eating the right foods that allow you to do that, that don't put you to sleep, that don't put you in pain, that don't 
make you numb, doing whatever exercise you need, or just giving yourself all the things or speaking to the friends that make you feel like yourself or being a part of the communities that really feed you, Um, having the spiritual practice, whatever it is, having like the 12 meditation apps on your phone, (laughs) all that stuff, Mm -hmm. just so that you can just to be present, just to be there. I feel like that's what all that is doing. It's no longer... You know, people call it self-care, but I don't even think it's really self-care. It's almost like necessity. Hmm. I also think we really need to not keep death uh, hidden. I think death and the concept of death and its inevitability needs to become actually much more in the forefront of discussion because our lives need to be happening in the flow of the awareness that death is inevitable. So let's live our best day every day. You know, we can do better than we're doing. No matter what we've done, no matter what's been done to us, we can do better than that. Yeah, I I feel like we don't really think about it or want to think about it Mm. unless it's presented to us in a close way. So she, I think you said it. When it's close, when it's personal, that's when we get it. Yeah, but if we were all, if we acknowledged the connection, how connected we really are, it would all be close. And we already are close. If we just... I mean, we feel it. On some level, we're experiencing the feeling. We're just not acknowledging the reality of it. Yeah, Sushi, you said it. I hope that uh, wherever people do feel connected to people, no matter how small, even if it's with one person, if it can happen with one, it can happen with many. And I think we need to remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Smishi, thank you so much for emanating all that beauty in the south of France through the podcast. We can hear the birds. We can feel it. and. We're still connected. Smushi, thank you for bringing up a heavy thing at a heavy time and bringing some buoyancy to it. A lot to think about once again. Well, I shall until our next meeting on our next podcast. And that's our show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for joining us. See you next time. 